All right, so um, today we are in John chapter 11. I looked back and we have been in John 10 for six weeks. <laughs> well, it was, it's actually, yeah, six weeks. And then we had a couple of missionaries thrown in there. So it's been two months of John chapter 10. And John chapter 11, um, we're going to cover in one sermon today, 53 verses. Yeah. And so I, I teach a, a class on like how to teach the Bible. And one thing I cover is try to put it in some kind of an outline so people can wrap their brain around it. So I do a little thing on outlining. And now if you can come up with, say, three points that all begin with the same letter. That's, that's a B plus right there, right? If you have four or five points that all begin with the same letter, that's an A. If you can get them all to rhyme, that's an A plus. Watch this. We're gonna cover, am I linked in here? Oh, I, I have to turn it on. That's a D. Now I'm down to a D. All right. Here we go. This is the story of Lazarus. We're going to see the delay, the display, the decay. Had to work on that one. The day and the dismay. Um, no, thank you. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> It'll make sense, okay? Now... <laughs> Whenever a pastor does this, usually one or two are forced. We'll let you figure out which one uh, is forced. Um, but here's, I'm going to kind of do this like I've done before and do a running commentary rather than read the whole text and then come back and reread it again. I'm going to do kind of a running commentary as we go. So let's begin with the delay. All right. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. So Bethany is just uh, to the east of Jerusalem. You actually go up. Uh, the, the Mount of Olives, and there on top of the hill is Bethany. And uh, this is Mary and Martha of Mary and Martha fame, whom we have not met yet in this gospel. Okay? And John does something interesting. He brings up the fact that this is the Mary who anoints Jesus' feet with, with ointment and wipes his feet with her hair, but that doesn't happen until the next chapter. So I think John assumes that this story is so well known that he can refer to it before he writes about it. Right? So that's, that's why he can bring this up. Now, interesting question, why the need to, to bring that incident up at this point? Well, what, you're, what you have to find out is, is that this ointment that she has, pure nard, is worth a year's wages. 
So what do you make in a year? <laughs> well, shout it out, what? <laughs> Not enough, okay. So let's say it's forty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever, you know. Not worth much anymore. But uh, $100,000 household income maybe in one extravagant act of worship she pours out $100,000 on Jesus' feet. Why does John bring this up here? I think to foreshadow that after Mary's extreme pain that she's going to go through in this chapter, her anguish, even her anger, I think we see some anger in this chapter that, that Mary and Martha have toward Jesus. After all that, on the other end, in chapter 12, she has even greater love and worship and confidence in Jesus than if this event had not happened. That's why I think he brings it up. Now, here's the whole point of what I I want us to get out of this passage today. Jesus loves us enough to reveal more and more of his glory to us. And the joy of experiencing that greater glory outweighs whatever pain is required to get there. Let me say it again. Jesus loves us enough to reveal more and more of his glory to us. And the joy of experiencing his glory outweighs whatever pain is required for us to get there. So here's what I want you to struggle with and to give into and to believe with all your heart. The pain of experiencing more of his glory is worth it. On the other end, Mary is glad this happened. Now, the application is, the next trial you have, do you go, I just want comfort? Or do you say, Lord, I will endure this if it will reveal more of your glory? All right? That's what we have to struggle with here. So, here's what happens. Lazarus is sick. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Okay? You think they texted it or emailed it? No, they had to hire a messenger. This costs money. First, they had to find Jesus. The guy on the horse had to find Jesus, and uh, it cost some money. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The whole point here is my glory is going to be revealed. Don't skip this. Okay? Jesus' glory is the issue. Now, this could sound incredibly cold or even egomaniacal. Yeah, 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 I'm going to let Lazarus die, but I'm going to get a bunch of glory out of it, so no biggie. If, if that's what we get out of it, we're missing it. His statement only makes sense 
if we understand that experiencing his glory, Jesus' glory, is the greatest joy we can have. Okay? Mary's extravagant gift confirms that her experience, her deeper experience of Jesus' glory was worth the pain. Now, I'm not being cavalier here. I hate pain. I'm the biggest wimp. Talk to her. She'll tell you. Do I, do I like comfort or pain? I'm a big way. Get a cold. It's the end of the world, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I, this passage has challenged me to say, do I miss out on experiencing the glory of Jesus because I choose comfort over his glory? Again, that's, that's the struggle I want you all to think about. Okay? Now, watch this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Outright statement of love. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, and, and by the way, the word so can be translated therefore. The point is, verse 6 is the result of his love. Okay? Jesus loved them. So, when he heard Lazarus was ill, what do you think he would write next? So Jesus rushed to heal Lazarus. Jesus rented his own horse. By the way, the only time we ever read Jesus on an animal is the triumphal entry, and it wasn't a horse, it was a donkey, right? But what does Jesus do? Does he rush to heal? So, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This so, this therefore, makes no earthly sense. It breaks all the categories of what love should be in our minds. Shouldn't love always relieve pain? Shouldn't love always save life? Now, many pastors and commentators go out of their way to excuse Jesus here and defend him and say, well, that, whatever it's saying, it's not saying Jesus let him die. I believe the straightforward reading is saying, so he stayed two more days. Because he loved them, he stayed two more days and let him die so they could experience more of his glory which would bring them more joy than if he had only healed Lazarus okay that's the delay now we finish up the paragraph then after this he said to the disciples let's go to Judea again let's go to Jerusalem the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, 
And are you going there again? Remember back in chapter 5, you, you healed the guy at the pool, and they tried to kill you, and then in 8, you called them sons of Satan. That didn't go over real well, and they tried to kill you. And in chapter 10, you said, I and the Father are one, and they picked up stones again to kill you. You're going to go right into the belly of the beast? Jesus answered, are not... 12 hours in the day. Now, what he means here, uh, day, sunlight. Okay, day can mean a 24-hour period. It can mean um, a, a time period. He, here he's talking about the daylight. Are there not 12 hours in the daylight? If anyone walks in the daylight, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. The, the sun protects us from stumbling and getting hurt. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He doesn't see things. What's he saying? I'm not going to stumble because the day is protecting me and we're going right into the belly of the beast. But then the sun will set on an exact point when Judas kisses me in the garden on Thursday night, that's when the sun sets. But until then, we've got work to do. And I'm invincible until the sun sets. That's what he's saying. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. <laughs> they think he's talking sleep. So he has to spell it out. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Well, aren't they believers already? Yeah, they're believers already, but here, here he's saying that you may believe deeper and see more glory and more glory, and I am glad. Okay? To understand this, you have to understand the connection between his love, his glory, and joy. If you don't, it just seems like a bizarre story. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now this is Thomas, doubting Thomas. I think doubting Thomas gets a lot of bad press when in reality, I, I think Thomas said, you know, you guys have all seen Jesus raised from the dead. I haven't. I'd like to see the proof. Okay, But here he says, all right, if you're going to die, then let's go with him and die. And, and again, I think this shows his heart. But here's the problem. Just like Peter, you know, Peter said, Lord, I would never deny you. Under pressure, you know, we, we can talk a lot better than our hearts display under pressure. But I, I just take this to mean if it's time to die, we're going to go with you. Let's go. But then at the arrest, they all flee. All right, so maybe there's a lesson here. Let's pray that our mouth lines up with our heart and our heart is willing to follow Jesus. Okay? 
Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So do the math. He delayed two days, and it took two days to travel to Bethany. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Bless you. All right, so now let's look at, that was the delay, let's look at the display. And what, what I'm talking about here is the Jesus' display of emotion. Okay? Jesus shows us some emotion that you may have never noticed before. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Not, Jesus, I'm so happy you came to the funeral. I'm so glad you could make it. No, Lord, she calls him Lord. If you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. I think you failed us. I think she's angry. I think she's questioning his love. I thought you loved us. I sent the message and it doesn't take four days to get here. She's, she's hurt. She still respects him, but have you ever been there with God? Lord, I prayed. You could have answered. Where were you? But even now, I know did I finish reading that? Yeah, all right. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So there's, I, I, I'm confused, I'm hurt, but still I, I, I trust that you can do whatever. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know, I've been to Sunday school. I know there's a big, a future day when every, everybody will be raised and there'll be a judgment day and then you go to heaven and you go to heaven. I got the catechism question right. I know. Okay. Jesus said to her, okay, so she, she says, he's going to rise in the last day, in the resurrection Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection isn't just an event that will happen in the future. I am the one who will personally raise the dead and judge the world and bring believers into my eternal kingdom. I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he die, 
yet shall he live. Okay? You hear that, Jim? All right? Though he die, yet shall he live. And then he says something weird. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? But he died. What do you mean never die? Well, this is talking about the second death. In, in Revelation 2.11, this is Jesus talking in Revelation 2.11. The one who conquers, conquering through believing, continuing to believe, will not be hurt by the second death. What's the first death? First death is just death, physical death. That's no fun. Second death is the death you really want to make sure you're not going to encounter because that's hell. If you conquer by believing throughout life, you will not face the second death. You ever hear this? If you're born once, you're going to die twice, but if you're born twice, you'll only die once. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Okay, so I, I, I believe, I, I believe, I still don't understand, but I, I believe all this. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, okay, so there's reverence there, saying to him, what does she say? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the same thing Martha says. Confusion, hurt, maybe some anger. A big question mark about Jesus' love. If you loved, how could you let this happen? Right? Do you, do you feel the tension here? What? They're confused, and maybe some of you are, are, are right here today. Okay. Now, let's, let's look at his display of emotion here. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was... It says, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. All right, we're going to come back to that. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So Jesus said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Isn't that the same question? Couldn't he have prevented this? Then Jesus deeply moved again, right, same, same term here, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Now, there's a number of emotions going on here. Now, 
Um, he wept. People have asked, why did he weep? He's going to raise him from the dead in two minutes. Why is he weeping? And I think the answer is simply this. God knows everything. But his knowledge and even his writing of the decree of things to happen doesn't mean he's a cold, calculating, predestining computer in the sky who has no emotion. I think he's simply entering into the pain of the people around him. You know, at funerals, I ask the question, how does God feel about your grief? And I take him to this passage. Shortest, shortest verse, Jesus wept, but packed with comfort. He cares. Okay? But what about, what about these other words? Deeply moved in his spirit. Okay? That's, a, that's kind of a tame translation. It's, it's a weird word. Embrima-omai. Embrima-omai. To snort with anger. Like a, like a war horse. <sighs> to snort with anger. And greatly troubled. That's the same word we're going to see in chapter 12 to describe. Uh, he goes, as I'm thinking of the cross, it says... I am deeply troubled. This isn't just like a passing emotion. There's, there's deep anguish and anger going on here. What's he angry about? Now, there's all kinds of speculation. Some say, well, he's angry at sin and death. But he's the one who let this death happen. Others say, well, he's angry at the unbelief. People don't believe he can raise him, raise Lazarus from the dead. Why would Jesus expect everybody to believe at this particular funeral that he should raise Lazarus from the dead? Jesus has encountered death before. He didn't get mad that people uh, didn't think he could raise people from the dead. Now, he had raised some people from the dead, but um, not a, he doesn't go around emptying the cemetery. So I don't think he's mad at their unbelief. I'm going to go with what a guy named Piper goes with. He cautiously goes with this. Because it doesn't say he snorted with anger because, so we kind of have to speculate, but if you put the pieces together... I think he's upset with the questioning of his love. Jesus, if you had been here, second time, Jesus, if you had been here, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again. Could it be he's upset? with the questioning of his motives and his love? If this is correct, and I admit it may, we may get to heaven and go, you missed it, Pastor. Right? And I'll go stand there by Piper <laughs> and he'll go, you both missed it. All right. um, if this is correct, 
I think we need to think long and hard before we so quickly question God's love for us because we would have done it better. Lord, I'm mad at you. Because when I advised you on how to handle this situation, I didn't go with this plan, and you went with a plan I didn't approve of. And I'm a bit upset. Let's be careful. You know, in the end, doesn't Mary's extravagant act of worship in chapter 12 say, I should have trusted you. You were right all along. I didn't understand. And now that I've experienced your resurrection power and your glory, it's far greater than I ever could have imagined. Here's $100,000 of perfume. So that's the display of emotion. The decay. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And I always like to point out, if you have a King James, it says, by now he stinketh. So when you're watching the Bears and the Packers and they, somebody does a bad, that stinketh. That's a way of watching football in a King James kind of mindset, all right? So, so, so let, me, let, me, let me give you some, this is some speculation, yet a little bit of scholarship too, okay? There was a belief that the Jews held that the fourth day of a body being dead is when the body really started to decay, in fact, some of them actually believed that the spirit hovered over the body for three days. But by the fourth day, it got so bad that even the spirit said, I guess I'm out of here. Okay? Now, if this is true, here's a, 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 an, interesting, uh, a, an interesting insight into a question that I've always had about Jesus' resurrection. Jesus, when he talks about his resurrection, for example, here on the road to Emmaus, it says, then he opened their minds, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written. So he's, he's, he's saying somewhere in the Old Testament it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And I've, I've scoured the Old Testament. Now, there, there's reference to Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days, and Jesus actually equates that to his, his resurrection. But, but where does it really come out and talk about the third day being the time that Jesus will come out of the grave? Watch this. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches the first Christian sermon. Okay, the first 
non-Jesus preached Christian sermon. And he references Psalm 16. And Paul also references Psalm 16 in the book of Acts. Psalm 16 seems to be really important to these guys. Now here he is, Peter on the steps of the temple probably, thousands of Jews there on the day of Pentecost. And it says, this is Peter talking, for David says concerning him, so he's going to quote Psalm 16. And here's Psalm 16. For you, God, right, will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Apparently, the body will be in the grave. Hades is the grave. But it won't see corruption. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. He probably pointed over to the tomb. David's been in that tomb for a thousand years. What's his point? Psalm 16 couldn't have been about David. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption or decay. If the four-day theory is correct, then for the body of the Messiah to not see decay, it would have to be raised by the third day. So tie Psalm 16 to Martha's words about his body stinketh on the fourth day, to Peter and Paul's sermons in the book of Acts, and I think we have found the prophecy that says he must be raised from the grave by the third day. I don't know if you buy it or not. I find it fascinating. All right, so now let's keep going. The day. Okay. Now remember, Martha said, yeah, I know, no, no. I, I know that on the last day, everybody will be raised. So that's the day I'm referring to. The end time day is when everybody, you will be resurrected from the dead, everybody, and judged, and you will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Well, I shouldn't say heaven. You'll, be, you'll spend eternity on the new earth, the new heaven and the new earth, or in hell. It's going to happen. Okay? And I don't know how people can go to church Sunday after Sunday, after Sunday, and not get their eternity secured. It just, it's like driving without a, lesson, a license down the wrong side of the road while drunk. What, what are you thinking? Are you sure that you're saved and not going to hell? What could be more important? The rest of the world doesn't find that important. In fact, nobody goes to church anymore. They're out golfing and they're out biking. 
almost hit three guys in spandex on the way here today. Why wouldn't you get your eternity settled? All right, little side note there. So, the day. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. So I'm praying to you and aware that they're listening. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out. Imagine the mummy coming out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What's he doing here? He is reaching into that future last day when he will raise everybody and bringing it into the present demonstrating that there will indeed be a final day of resurrection. Jesus' own resurrection and Lazarus's, Lazarus' resurrection prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's going to be a future resurrection. This is the down payment that he brings into the present about the future day. So now, what's the response of the Jews? The dismay, or the, the disbelief. Now, some of them believe. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. Let's have a Senate meeting. Let's go, let's go to Washington, have a big to-do, right? What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Notice their concern. Not, wow, this guy must be the Messiah. No. Darn. This guy's getting a lot of people following him, and it's going to create a turmoil, and the, the Romans aren't going to like it, and they're going to tamp down on it, and they're going to kill us and take away our, 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 uh, our temple. Um, we're going to lose our power. Isn't it amazing how people can stare facts in the face, and their biggest concern is not are they true, but how will this affect my position happens at work happens in politics happens in families truth is not the issue how it affects me is the issue so let's get rid of the truth but one of them Caiaphas who was high priest that year said to them you know nothing at all <laughs> he's the wise guy he knows it all right nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people 
not that the whole nation should perish. It's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of, of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Now, understand, his intention is not theological. He theologically has a perfect formulation for penal substitutionary atonement. One man dies for everybody else. And his death pays for their sin so they can be forgiven and be with God. That's not what he meant. What he meant is it's better to knock him off than for us to lose our position. But what's interesting is God spoke through the mouth of the high priest truth. His intention and his meaning was different than what was true, but he spoke the true words, kind of like Balaam's donkey spoke true words. Okay? And not for the nation only, so let's go, let's go back here. All right. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation only, not only for the Jews, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's you in this room. Gentiles who believe in Jesus. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. There are some people who go, if he really is the Messiah, that requires me to believe in him and repent. I either have to believe and repent or get rid of him. They chose to get rid of him. My prayer is that you would believe and repent and embrace him. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. All who believe in you will never die that second death. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts. Whatever we've been, whatever lie we've been buying into, whatever self-motivation we've been buying into that's kept us from fully trusting in you, Lord, break through. And may we fall on our knees and say, Lord, you are my Lord and my Savior. I believe in you. Amen.